Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. A New York jury has found the Trump Organization guilty of tax fraud. Trump himself was not charged in the case. Many are wondering why the second batch of the Twitter files has yet to be dropped, despite Twitter owner Elon Musk promising their release over the weekend. One of the journalists behind the files gives an update on the holdup. The Georgia Senate runoff is today. We take a look at when the polls will close and when the results could come out. The end of the year is inching closer and Congress is grappling with details in the National Defense Act. What's holding up the crucial defense bill? Some illegal immigrants are being released into the U.S. and they're supposed to be tracked using GPS technology. A new report is now alleging that ICE is presenting the wrong numbers on how many immigrants they're actually tracking. And a special grand jury releases a report on the sexual assaults that took place in Loudoun County schools. What it says about whether school district officials lied about or covered up the assaults. A New York jury has found the Trump Organization guilty of tax fraud. The Trump Organization, which operates hotels, golf courses and other real estate, faces fines over the conviction, which involved paying high-level executives with gifts and perks deducted from their paychecks, as well as compensation labeled as personal expenses so that they could avoid paying higher taxes. The business and a related company, the Trump Payroll Corporation, were also convicted of a scheme to defraud, conspiracy, two counts of tax fraud, and falsifying business records, all felonies. Sentencing is scheduled for mid-January. The fines will be decided by the judge overseeing the trial. Trump himself was not charged in the case. And voters in Georgia are heading to the polls today for the Senate runoff. And Republicans in Arizona make new moves after the state certified the November election. The runoff election on Tuesday between Democratic Senator Raphael Warnock and Republican Herschel Walker will determine whether Senate Democrats can expand on their 50-50 majority. Polls opened at 7 in the morning and will close by 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Officials say results will start to be posted online shortly after the polls close. And a winner could be decided within hours. Almost 27 percent of the state's registered active voters had already voted by absentee ballot or early voting. Arizona gubernatorial candidate Carrie Lake on Tuesday tweeted a photo of her with Walker and asked people to vote for him. The Arizona Republican said Monday that she won't concede the governor's race and will file lawsuits against the state's certified results. The Arizona Republican Party is also taking action after the state certified election results on Monday. The party is calling on Arizona Attorney General Mark Burnovich to investigate Democrat Governor-elect Katie Hobbs. The Arizona GOP said Hobbs, who is also the Arizona Secretary of State, pressured Twitter to remove posts while she ran for governor. The GOP says this may have violated federal and state law and suppressed free speech. A necessary national defense bill is in limbo as lawmakers on Capitol Hill hammer out details. Democrats aiming to attach non-defense language, and Republicans trying to quash the military vaccine mandates. NTD's Melina Wisecup has more from Capitol Hill. 
This defense bill called the National Defense Authorization Act is a yearly bill that Congress passes that sets policy and budget for defense agencies. Congress is really behind getting this done for year 2023, but lawmakers have agreed on a top line number of $850 billion, which is about $45 billion over what President Biden requested. But while lawmakers have agreed on that top line number, there are still other negotiations that are uh, holding up this process, such as whether or not to repeal vaccine mandates for military members. This is something Republicans are pushing for strongly in both the House and the Senate, with several Senate uh, Republicans saying that they would block the advancement of the NDAA if they did not get a vote on this. Senator Rick Scott today telling reporters this is still a priority. We need to have a provision that says that the Biden administration cannot continue to require the COVID vaccine. And if you've been kicked out, you ought to be reinstated. But notably, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell did not mention this vaccine mandate at all. And the White House just yesterday clarified that President Biden opposes this effort by Senate Republicans, saying that he would prefer to keep this mandate in place. Unsurprisingly, Senate Leader Chuck Schumer today echoed that same White House message. But this is not the only area that's causing some hangups in this NDAA. There is also tension over Democrats' efforts to include marijuana reform in this defense bill. Here's Senate Leader Chuck Schumer speaking on this today. Again, that's had bipartisan support. We've been working with Republicans. Um, it's a priority for me. I'd like to get it done. We'll try to discuss the best way to get it done. But Republican leader McConnell warned Schumer against doing this, hinting that Republicans would tank this bill if they included this, this measure in it. But this is not the only must-pass government uh, bill that's being held up right now. Congress must also pass a, a bill to fund the government as a whole to prevent a government shutdown just 10 days from now. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell today saying that they are looking at passing a short-term government funding bill that would carry them through next year, saying that they're just simply running out of time. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Melina Weiskup, NTD News. ICE is allegedly misreporting the number of immigrants who are being tracked using GPS technology. One expert says the agency is doing so to appease NGOs. Immigration and Customs Enforcement, or ICE, is allegedly grossly misreporting the number of illegal immigrants released into the U.S. who are being tracked using GPS technology. The program in question is called Alternatives to Detention, or ATD. Through ATD, illegal immigrants are being released but tracked using ankle monitors, GPS tracking, and cell phones. The Daily Caller News Foundation reports that it obtained internal ICE documents about a closed-door event last Thursday in which ICE shared numbers on how many immigrants are being tracked. Publicly, ICE reports that over 56,000 are being monitored. At the event, however, agency officials and nonprofits were allegedly told that it's only just over 8,000. The American Civil Liberties Union was listed as an attendee at last Thursday's event. The ACLU is actively working against immigration enforcement, and it has a campaign on its website called Shut Down the ICE Detention Machine. Former ICE Chief of Staff John Fury told The Daily Caller that the Biden administration is telling their anti-enforcement friends one thing while telling the public something entirely different. This massive discrepancy raises the question of whether Biden's appointees at ICE are lying about other data points. We reached out to ICE for comment, but didn't hear back before broadcast. Meanwhile, in other border-related news, President Biden is visiting Arizona, but doesn't plan to go to the border. 
He was asked why not. And not visit the border. Because there's more important thing going on. They're going to invest billions of dollars in a new enterprise. The president is visiting a new Taiwanese semiconductor manufacturing site. The chipmaker reportedly plans to invest $40 billion, making it one of the largest foreign investments in American history. Reporting by Arian Pastar, NTD News. The full transcripts of Dr. Anthony Fauci's deposition are now public. Fauci testified as part of a lawsuit against the Biden administration, which is accused of censoring speech. NTD's Jason Perry has the details. On Monday, Missouri Attorney General Eric Schmidt announced on Twitter that the full transcript of Dr. Anthony Fauci's deposition was released. Fauci, who is the chief medical advisor for President Biden, is one of the defendants named in a lawsuit against President Biden and members of his administration. Attorney General Schmidt filed the lawsuit with Louisiana Attorney General Jeff Landry. They accused the federal government of working with big tech companies to censor speech. One of the most common answers Fauci gave during the deposition was, quote, I don't recall. A press release from Schmidt's office says Fauci answered, I don't recall, 174 times when he was asked about emails he sent and other important information. Here's Schmidt on Fox News speaking about the deposition. A friend actually emails him in February of 2020 asking him if she should wear a mask on a plane, and he says, Basically, masks are ineffective. Uh, later on, in, on March 31st, there's some emails with more studies to confirm that. Then on April 3rd, he does an about face and says, ma you know, masks are completely necessary. Mandates follow. Lives are ruined. And COVID tyranny is born. Fauci was asked who he spoke to about the efficacy of masks during that period. And he said, I don't recall. And Fauci added that the best way to counter misinformation and disinformation is to flood the system with correct information. He was also asked if he was on a first name basis with anyone who works at Twitter. He replied, quote, well, right now, no. But when my daughter worked at Twitter, I was on a first name basis with her. Schmidt later said Fauci's recent deposition only confirmed what we already knew. Federal bureaucrats in collusion with social media companies want to control not only what you think, but especially what you say. The first sentence in the lawsuit against the Biden administration references a quote from George Washington. He warned that if the freedom of speech may be taken away, then dumb and silent we may be led like sheep to the slaughter. The full transcripts of Fauci's deposition can be found at ago.mo.gov. We reached out to Fauci for comment, and we're still waiting for a response. Jason Perry, NTD News. Matt Taibbi, one of the journalists behind the Twitter files, issued an update today on why the second batch of the files were delayed. Here's what he tweeted. On Friday, the first installment of the Twitter files was published here. We expect to publish more over the weekend. Many wondered why there was a delay. We can now tell you part of the reason why. On Tuesday, Twitter Deputy General Counsel and former FBI General Counsel Jim Baker was fired. Among the reasons? Vetting the first batch of Twitter files without knowledge of new management. The process for producing the Twitter files involved delivery to two journalists, Barry Weiss and me, via a lawyer close to new management. However, after the initial batch, things became complicated. 
Over the weekend, while we both dealt with obstacles to new searches, it was Barry Weiss who discovered that the person in charge of releasing the files was someone named Jim. When she called to ask Jim's last name, the answer came back, Jim Baker. Baker is a controversial figure. He has been something of a zealot of FBI controversies dating back to 2016, from the Steele dossier to the Alpha server mess. He resigned in 2018 after an investigation into leaks to the press. The news that Baker was reviewing the Twitter files surprised everyone involved, to say the least. New Twitter chief Elon Musk acted quickly to exit Baker Tuesday. Musk confirmed the firing over Twitter, saying, in light of concerns about Baker's possible role in suppression of information important to the public dialogue, he was exited from Twitter today. And new reports out that Elon Musk's medical device company Neuralink is under federal investigation for potential animal welfare violations. That's according to documents reviewed by Reuters and not independently verified by NTD. And there are other questions surrounding Neuralink's brain chip. After Musk announced recently, the chips will be ready to begin human trials in six months. Earlier today, I spoke with Libby Emmons, editor-in-chief of The Post Millennial, for her perspective. Libby Emmons, welcome to our show. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Appreciate it. Now, Elon Musk says that Neuralink is about six months from human trials. He says it will help the blind see and help paralyzed people move again. But you're saying that these brain chips could bring about certain consequences, such as transforming humans into yet another data port in the Internet of Things. Tell me about that. Yeah, so this is a concern that I have. While I appreciate the um, you know work to help the disabled, and that's of course very noble and laudable, there are concerns because we know from past experience that once a technology is released, it will be used uh, for whatever purposes people can come up with. So my concern with Neuralink is that it creates a port essentially for human beings to communicate directly with a data stream. It removes the interface of both the body and the computer because you can just think your way um, online. You can just think your way uh, into data and there's no reason to believe that the data would flow in only one direction. So the concern that I have and that I've had after a lot of research is that a human being would not know where their thoughts end and where another's thoughts begin, or even worse, where their thoughts end and propaganda or advertising begin. And a hive mind is something that Elon Musk has spoken about in the past um, as something that could be uh, come about through this technology. In an article you wrote in Human Events, you say that if not controlling people's thoughts, this technology opens the way for controlling people's behaviors based on their thoughts. Mm -hmm. So if governments know what people think, they can respond, for example, with restrictions. Tell me about yeah. that. So this is a concern as well. We've seen in China that the communist government has uh, worked with tech companies to limit the way that technology, communications technology is used. And they have done this in order to quell protests. As we have just recently seen, Apple disabled their airdrop function, which is a way that um, dissidents have been able to communicate without going online. So at what, to what extent will governments be able to look into what people are thinking um, even more than they already do with social media accounts? Absolutely. And you've said that if we cut out the human body, 
as the intermediary between the data ports and data streams that will just become data ports in the metaverse with no understanding of real yeah. life or real sensation. Tell me about this that. Is a con yeah, this is a concern that I have, and I think that it is reasonable to have, especially if you look at the um, confluence of technologies that we are seeing come down the pike. You have Mark Zuckerberg wanting everyone to join a metaverse, which is essentially a VR reality where your mind is interfacing, where, you know, perhaps you're using computers to do that or whatever, but where you are existing in a virtual space, not in an actual physical space. And when you combine something like that with a technology that interlinks all human beings uh, with data streams and with each other, you suddenly have something that is not the kind of individual, autonomous, independent human being that we have come to know and love over our generations of being human beings. We have something else. Uh, we have ports. We have um, a, a thorough connection between people. And I wonder if we really want to lose that kind of independence and autonomy. Um, certainly, much of my perspective comes from a Christian background where I'm thoroughly steeped and love the idea that God has given us free will and that we can direct our own actions and thoughts. Um, can we, would we be able to close this data port? Would we be able to shut off? Um, it's already very difficult to turn your phone off. How much more difficult would it be when your entire reality is not in the physical plane, but on servers? It's important to, um, ask ourselves what it means to be human, understand what that is, and decide if that's something we want to continue being, um, because this is going to affect all of us eventually. Many big and essential questions there, Libby. Thank you so much. Libby Emmons, Editor-in-Chief of The Post Millennial, really appreciate your time. Thanks so much. Congressman Andy Biggs says he will be a candidate in the House speakership race on January 3rd. The Arizona Republican lost a bid last month to be the GOP's nominee for speaker. His candidacy in January will make it harder for House Republican leader Kevin McCarthy to claim the speaker's gavel on the first ballot. To become speaker, a candidate needs 218 votes on the House floor. With Biggs' candidacy, McCarthy detractors can now vote for an alternative to run the new House, which will have 222 Republican seats. If McCarthy can't win the necessary 218 votes on the first ballot, it will go to multiple ballots until someone wins 218 votes. That's something that hasn't happened in about a century. Biggs tweeted he's running to break the establishment. And turning to Loudoun County, Virginia, we have the latest on the sexual assaults that took place at public schools last year. A special grand jury made a ruling on the role of the school district officials. In a report unsealed on Monday, a special grand jury in Loudoun County, Virginia, made a decision on the sexual assaults that took place at Loudoun County Public Schools in 2021. The jury said the superintendent of Loudoun County Public Schools, Scott Ziegler, lied about the assaults and that school officials displayed a stunning lack of openness about the incidents. The first assault occurred on May 28, 2021 at Stonebridge High School. The victim was a 15-year-old girl. The victim's family said it happened in a girl's bathroom by a boy who was wearing a skirt and who claimed to be gender fluid. That student was transferred to Broad Run High School. There, the second assault took place against another female student five months later on October 6, 2021. 
The special grand jury was made up of randomly selected Loudoun County residents. They said the superintendent made a false statement about the first assault during a school board meeting in June 2021. During the meeting, a school board member asked the superintendent, do we have assaults in our bathrooms or in our locker rooms regularly? The superintendent reportedly said he was unaware of any record of assaults occurring in the school bathrooms. The special grand jury stated that the school district ultimately bears the brunt of the blame for the second assault. But the report concluded that there was not a coordinated cover-up, but instead a breakdown of communication. The Loudoun County School Board shared a statement saying it was pleased that the investigation had found no evidence of criminal conduct and led to no indictment against any school board members. Reporting by Allison Lee, NTD News. If you have any news tips or feedback for our show, you can email us at eveningnews at ntd.com. And coming up, assisted suicide in Canada is on the rise. We hear how some people reportedly misuse the practice and how it might be expanding into the U.S. And in baseball free agency news, the Mets pay big to replace a key player, while the Phillies signed baseball's latest $300 million player. That and more coming up. update from North Carolina, where an attack on power substations left around 45,000 without electricity. Officials are saying energy should be back by tomorrow night. According to Duke Energy, power has already been restored to 10,000 customers. Yesterday, officials declared a state of emergency in Moore County. A curfew is in place from 9 p.m. to 5 a.m. every night until Friday. Officials say attackers opened fire on two substations in the county. The FBI is reportedly working with local investigators to find out who's behind the attack. And Canada's laws on assisted suicide are changing, and the number of people making use of the practice is on the rise. A state senator from Montana tells us the practice is also making its way into the U.S. In 2015, Canada's Supreme Court struck down the country's law banning assisted suicide. The court gave Parliament 12 months to write a new law. Patients would have to be adults, and they would have to be suffering from an incurable medical condition or one that causes intolerable suffering. The law went into effect in June 2016. Rupa Subramanya, an Ottawa-based reporter, says not all people who make use of the law are actually sick. There are people literally applying for MAID in Canada because they can't afford, uh, they, they face a financial shortfall of $200 a month. The people are just gravitating to MAID as an option to get out of their uh, circumstances. She says the law's provisions might be expanding. So now under Track 2 MAID, people uh, who are eligible for MAID whose death can't be shown to be foreseeable, but they're suffering from, say, an incurable uh, disability or illness which causes their life to be intolerable. Uh, say you're type 2 diabetes and you just do not want to keep taking insulin shots anymore and that's intolerable uh, and, uh, and they believe that their, um, their condition cannot be relieved under, um, uh, you know, any, any other, you know, with any other treatment that they find acceptable, so they become eligible for Track 2 MAID. She added that the government is planning to expand the law even further. Now what's happening now is that next year, March of 2023, uh, it's going to be further expanded where mental illness becomes the sole underlying condition for medical assistance in dying. The practice of assisted suicide may be rising in the future, not only in Canada, but also here in the U.S. 
we spoke with Montana State Senator Carl Glimm, who has sponsored two unsuccessful bills to clarify an existing state law to outlaw assisted suicide. Right now, he says, some people in the state are using a legal loophole. I can give you an example of someone who uh, relatives um, decide that they want their elderly relative to, you know, if they go down the wrong path of pushing this in a direction that that is not moral. So let's say that they're, they're, they stand to get a, a large inheritance and it would be, they would like it sooner rather than later. So they conspire with the doctor and they are able to have their elderly uh, relative, um, you know, go through this assisted suicide process. You can watch the full episode with the entire interview on The Nation Speaks at ntd.com. And in sports news, baseball's free agency period started slowly, but with two of the biggest stars suddenly off the board, the rest of the dominoes are falling. Meanwhile, in soccer, Cristiano Ronaldo's deal in Saudi Arabia isn't final. NTD's Dave Martin has the details. Baseball's free agency period just got interesting as superstars Justin Verlander and Trey Turner signed mammoth deals with new teams. The 29-year-old Turner signed an 11-year, $300 million contract to join the Philadelphia Phillies. The total value is tied with San Diego's Manny Machado for the fourth biggest free agency deal ever. Turner is not only one of the better hitters in the game, having twice led the league in hits, his defensive skills at shortstop, arguably the toughest position in baseball, made him one of the most sought-after players on the market. In addition, his speedy ability on the base paths, having twice led the league in steals, will come in handy next season as baseball's new rules are anticipated to speed up the game. His signing should speed up the negotiations for current free agent shortstops Carlos Correa, Xander Bogart, and Dansby Swanson. Meanwhile, the Mets moved fast to sign Verlander after losing their ace, Jacob deGrom, to the Texas Rangers. The 39-year-old Verlander, fresh off winning his third Cy Young Award, got a whopping two-year, $86 million deal to come to New York. The per-year average of $43 million ties him with fellow ace Max Scherzer, his former teammate in Detroit, and now future teammates with the Mets. And in soccer news, superstar Cristiano Ronaldo hasn't yet agreed to a deal with a Saudi Arabian club, according to a report by ESPN. On Monday, reports in Spain claimed the 37-year-old will join a club in Saudi Arabia on a two-and-a-half-year deal worth nearly 200 million euros per season, roughly the equivalent of 206 million American dollars. Reportedly, Ronaldo is focused on the World Cup and will make a decision after the tournament. Ronaldo agreed to terminate his contract with Manchester United back in November, making him a free agent. Reporting by Dave Martin, NTD News. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie Cox. Good night.